November 2015 issue, and this month we will be discussing Arrows of the Queen by Mercedes Lackey. I love this book. This is my third time reading it, and I think it's just as enjoyable this time as it was the other two times. The first time... You gotta give me 30 seconds, because I gotta write the name of the the file as well as hit the Alt-R. So you got to give me like 30 seconds or so. So please start again. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Accessible World Fantasy Book Club. This is the November 2015 issue. This month we will be discussing Arrows of the Queen by Mercedes Lackey. I love this book. I read it three times, and it was enjoyable every time. The first time I read it, I was probably about the age that it was supposed to be read. The second time, I was a young adult, and now it's been several years. So it was a wonderful book. I Just all the characters were wonderful. Um, I don't know. I just I loved it. Well, I have to say that I had had set Mercedes Lackey aside because... I thought she had some kind of uh, acquaintance with Ursula K. Le Guin, and uh, as I said, uh, that lady has an agenda, and her agenda is um, to push LGP, LGBT, whatever the heck you call that, uh, issues. And I, I, I have nothing against the gay community at all but I don't like to be hit over the head with a point and I've I've stayed away from Lackey for years thinking that she was the same thing and she isn't and I was very pleased with this book and I continued by reading Arrow's Flight and I am also reading Arrow's Fall so what can I tell you? I really like this book. I thought it was well written, well crafted, and I don't know where I've been all these years. Well, I really enjoyed this trilogy. I read the entire thing. Um and you know, I I liked all of the characters. Um I particularly liked the the horses, the magical horses. Um, but I also I said, well, if this is such a good series, maybe the Magic's Pawn, Magic's Price, and Magic's Promise would also be good, and they're not. And that one I felt like I was being hit over the head by the LGBT thing. And I didn't particularly like the character because he'd in that book. All right, so I gave up on that series. But I'm going to try the other two parts. I think there are four trilogies in this universe, and I think I'm going to try the others as well. I read a lot of her stuff before she got into the LGBT thing, which I, I'm afraid I, <coughs> I'm showing my prejudice here. I can't admire I can like people, despite not because of that. But uh, I didn't think she hit me over the head with it. <coughs> Pardon me. And um, 
of the three, the magic. <coughs> I have to come back to this later. Better get a drink of water, uh, Lana. And nice to see you. Um, we thought you weren't coming, and we're glad you're here. But uh, I think you need a drink of water or something. Anyway, um, so Susan, you were saying, do you really like this book? And why or why not? I I love the book. Um, I, I was trying to keep my comments just to this book since that was what the discussion headline was. But I must confess, I read the whole series plus um, plus the uh, Winds trilogy plus the <laughs> um, Storms trilogy, and so on. And yes, as a um, as a Latter-day Saint, <clears throat> I, in some ways, felt that, okay, this is a little, uh, maybe pushing the LG, uh, whatever, <laughs> uh, transgender and whatever, uh, thing in my face a little, but then I, I, came to realize, well, no, it's it's not exactly that. It's difference um, that is emphasized, not the, it's difference and acceptance. Although, <clears throat> honestly, I, I feel the same way Marshall does about the magic pawn and um, promise and price books. I just... I couldn't warm up to the main character as part of my problem. But um, as far as as far as Arrows of the Queen goes, and the the Arrows trilogy for that matter, I want a companion. <laughs> I really do. I want a companion, and that's what made it so magical and and just so wonderful to me. Yeah, if I had a barn, I'd want a companion too. Um, you know, no man is an island, but we're all living inside our own heads, no matter how close we get to other people. Well, the companions are kind of like uh, Anne uh, McCaffrey's dragons, only the food bill would be a lot lower. Um, as I was saying before, and, and even drinking water hurts tonight, but um, I, uh, when it comes to Magic's Pawn, Promise, and Price, I read Promise first, and I liked it because it wasn't, it wasn't in your face. Um, and it isn't here either. It's who they are, but you don't have to deal with description of them coming together and all that. Um, and I think that makes a big difference for me uh, because you're dealing with them as people outside of their sexual preference. Um, but Magic's promise, the middle one, where he is without a, a life partner, he's dealing with other people and helping other people with their problems in a very sensitive way that I, I really kind of liked that. And um, like I say, I read enough of her stuff before I got into that that it, it didn't really bother me because I was already hooked. But um, while well, I can still talk, 
I found in this book what I always look for in fantasy, which is a sense of discovery. I mean, you know, those of you who've been here to listen and be gripe about, uh, they just drop us in the middle of a world and we're supposed to know everything and take everything for granted. And there's no wonder. There's no sense of wonder, like, oh, wow, discovering. And as Talia learns these things, we learn them with her. And, and I think that's part of what I found so fascinating about this book. I, I can't help but agree. And, uh, as as she is riding along uh, the roads and is coming into um, a completely different, less structured world than than she had to deal with, um, as as being a I would call it an abusive um, situation. Um, she had to not only how, uh, know how to live or learn how to live and understand and trust people. Um, she had to learn that not everyone conformed to uh, the edicts of, of her upbringing. And that was not easy for her. And we learned, as you said, Lana, Lana is it? Uh, you know, right, right along with her, we learned, and we were part of that. And, and we, at least I, learned, and I hurt for her. And I, I, I thought to myself, oh, why don't you just, why don't you just talk to Jadis? Why don't you just talk to Karen, dear? It's, you know, you can trust them. But had she not, she would would not have gotten thrown in the river, and she would not have, um, her gift wouldn't have come upon her so early. Uh, you know, it it all happened for a reason. That's what they call good writing. All the pieces come together when and where they are supposed to come together. And that's what makes her a very good writer. Also, it was easier for her, I think, even though she couldn't trust, is she was already rebelling against her community when she ran away. And so I think leaving behind some of those mores was easier for her than if she had come from a place she loved and had to adapt to new ways of being and thinking. And if... I were raised in the kind of things, in the kind of environment Talia was raised in. I don't know how much I trust people either. Um, you know, because nobody seemed to look after her. They just, uh, it sounded like they beat her whenever they felt like it. Um, you know, her brother put that hot poker in her hand. Um so I, I can see not suddenly not deciding, I don't want to trust anybody or I'm going to get hurt. We're doing either tonight, aren't we? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. You say tomato and I say tomato. Uh, let's call the whole thing off. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I really like the, the Arrows of the Queen because... Um, you know, she she actually has to 
learn to trust. And boy, what a what an abusive kind of place to grow up in. I mean, you know, not just the physical abuse of her elder brother, but you know, the whole the whole mindset of these people that she was living with and then the whole thing about you know, uh, later on when she is chosen and, and goes away and so forth, and she gets the note that says, "Well, I don't have a daughter named Talia." You know, I, you know, and I just felt so bad for her. I mean, because you know, to be rejected like that. But I thought it was really great of her to to, uh, even though it started out as as being a. A ruse to um, get, uh, I always want to call him Shift, but uh, um, the the thief out of trouble, uh, that she didn't want the taxes to go to her, her kin because they had rejected her. And I thought that was great. Um, you know, the reward or the tax break or the whatever the heck it was. She didn't want that to go to them because, you know, they'd rejected her. So, uh, and I just thought, yay, team. <laughs> and boy, I just, uh, you know, and and uh, the, the friends that she makes. And you actually watch this writer writing about how friends are made and what goes into a friendship and what what is it that, that uh, makes people trust each other and, and all that kind of stuff. It, it really, I thought it was really well written and well done. And um, I really liked Talia, which is why I read the thing in the first place. And as any of you who know me know, I if I don't like the character in a given book, the main character... I don't read the book. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. It just isn't, you know. Um, and I, I start books and I just can't get into the character. You know, forget it. If if nothing resonates, you know, then forget it. But this, this certainly did resonate. So um, I was very pleased. I really, really was. So... Very good choice, Julia, I have to say. Well, thank you. I agree with all of the comments. And um, I also agree with Anne. If I don't like a character, I won't bother reading it. But the only problem with that is I kind of have to read the books on here if I don't like them. Because, well, you can't talk about a book you haven't read all the way. And I wouldn't be setting a very good example if I just read half a book and everybody else had to slog through the whole miserable thing. Um, speaking of books that really weren't all that great, I think the worst book I've ever read on here was Malazan Book of the Fallen, and everybody didn't like that one, but that was ages ago. Um, as far as this book, I agree it was a wonderful book, and I will probably read the next two ones, because I remember them a bit. Well, um, and I just one comment about the, the, um, Oh dear. Well, I hope she comes back. Anyway, uh, you know, and, and, uh, yes, Lana, we've, we've heard you complain about the lack of, of wonder in this book. And there is so much discovery going on in this book. And it's wonderful. And 
the thing I like about it is that the world is believable. It's actually believable. You've got, you know, you've got this school, this collegium, whatever, and it has, you know, it has rooms just like any other school, and and people are are, you know, and they have dining halls and all that, just like any other school, and and that fits in. But the the world itself and the way things work, and the companions and so forth, it just uh, excuse me, it just all fits together. It's just really well crafted I thought one thing about her books uh, there's nothing really offensive in them they deal with adult topics but she deals them in with with them in ways that that um, young adults can read them not that young adults don't know more about what's going on than we do these days but she handles things so tactfully and yet she does deal with them like she did the relationships in this book and like she does in in uh, other relationships in other of her books you and and the same is true with violence it happens you know it's there but you don't get gory details about what happens to people um it's it's a very almost i don't want to call it a safe read but you do feel like you're going to be in safe country when you open one of her books well one of the things that i that I liked about this book was that you were never in doubt as to what was good and what was what was bad. And some uh, YA literature, you want to smack the authors because they're you know they don't they don't make a distinction in their books between you know, uh, make any moral distinctions. And I think that is a major part of YA literature because literature um, and stories are one way that young people learn about morals and about societal conventions and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't, declare yourself as an author and you don't um, put a moral uh, stamp on your books then I think you do the young people a disservice and I was very happy to discover that she she doesn't do this she does very well in the the moral um, way of things, in and she handles the relationships between people very well, and um, you know just makes them very matter of fact and and um, you know down to earth and and um, I really really liked the way things went um and uh you know i i i could see those kids uh being paid to cause her all that evil you know strife and you know try to get rid of her and so forth and and um um 
you know, snotty kids are snotty kids, and and you know, they just are. But uh, wow, um, that was that was quite the quite the crisis she went through. I think that part of the problem you indicated about young young adult literature and not making distinguish, distinct, oh, distinctions between right and wrong is that a lot of the authors themselves anymore don't know much about the difference, and they are so afraid of sounding judgmental and, quote, Well, yeah, um, but you can be... You can come down on the side of a type of morality without being judgmental. Um, you know, I've, I I think that, um, you know, when I think of, of really good fantasy authors, Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis, well, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis doesn't count because uh, C.S. Lewis doesn't count because he wrote with a definite Christian um, basis to what he was writing, whereas uh, Tolkien didn't necessarily, um, and others as well. You can make judgments about the behavior of your characters. You can indicate as to whether something a character has done in your writing is good or bad, that's that's kind of where I where I was going. Um, I know authors who don't, and I, as I say, I think they do a disservice to their readers um, because it's as I say, I, uh, reading is one of the ways that we discover our world. Good heavens, what happened to everybody? Did I did I turn people away? I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, somebody else talk. Well, I don't think you turned anybody away. I don't know what happened to Susan. I think Lana's computer went, got sick and quit on her. Um, you know, I... I have to compare this book with the Magic Pond stuff. Even there, um, she doesn't con- condemn the people themselves. She con- condemns what they do and why they do it. Um, so I may go back and give that one another try. Maybe go into Magic's Promise or... Magic's price. I think I know what happens to the guy at the end. Excuse me. And I'm definitely going to try some of the other ones. Um, and I wish I could afford a either a companion or a bronze dragon from the McCaffrey series. I'd really like to have a bronze dragon. Oh, that would be so much fun. I think I'd like a companion better. I don't know, dragons are awesome, but um, flying? Yeah, kind of creeps me out. Well, I think if I were going to choose an animal companion, I'd want a tree cat. That's what I'd want. 
And I love celery anyway, so, you know. <laughs> I want a tree cat. I wouldn't mind a tree cat either. I uh, keep cutting in and out, losing you guys and coming back in again, so I only got some of it. Uh, but I think the the housing bill for a dragon would be a little bit excessive. I think the food bill would be even higher. Uh, I think there are some cattlemen here in Utah that would be really upset if you uh, came down and started taking their cattle to feed your dragon. Yeah, they probably would not appreciate that very much. Neither would the ones here in Colorado. Nor would the sheep herders be very pleased either. So, um, yeah, I, I think having a dragon would be a little on the expensive side. So maybe a tree cat would be better or or a companion. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind having a companion. Um, I'd have to relearn how to ride, but other than that, you know... Um, Anything's possible. I'd even settle for a fire lizard. Those are cute. Well, okay. Um, so what are we doing for December? Did we decide? I can't remember. This, this month has been kind of crazy, so I don't know um, what we we did or didn't do. Um I don't even think I was there last time. I think I was somewhere else. I can't remember. Maybe I was... Uh, oh, I may have been at, at rehearsal for Elijah. Anyway. So, what what are we up to next time? I'm trying to think. Did we have a Christmas one assigned yet? Or were we just bouncing around the idea and we didn't have anything actually planned? Or do we even want to do a Christmas one? I'd like a Christmas one. I thought we were talking about doing something in the future, but I can't remember what it was, and I don't think it was a Christmas one. And I can't think of a... I mean, most Christmas stories are fantasies to some level, anyway, if they're any good. But I don't remember us... And I can't think of any right offhand that would be... that would qualify as fantasy. You know, Debbie McComber has her angels pop in and helping people, but um, I don't know what we would we would do. I had one picked out, but it's not a Christmas one, unfortunately. And it's like 23 hours, so that does not seem like such a great idea after all. What is it? It's Lies of Loch Lamora. It's the a Gentleman Bastards trilogy book one by Scott Lynch. It's about an orphan who gets sold in, into the gang of thieves, and I guess he grows up and becomes the leader of them. And then um, it's supposed to be a sort of a fantasy literary crime thing. Um, where, and then I guess somebody um, starts assassinating gang members, and they have to figure out what's going on, and someone is after him for something. Well, I wouldn't mind that one. I haven't. I've been reading mysteries, so I don't have anything to suggest. Hi, Susan. Glad you're back. We're now um, talking about next month's book. I don't know if you have any suggestions we were tossing around Christmas but then I forgot about Christmas as far as books and picked out a non-Christmasy one so well I'll probably be inundated by Christmasy ones so I will be maybe glad to read a non-Christmasy one well that's good but well it's 23 hours so you might want to put your bard player on fast 
No, I don't think I want a 23-hour long one. I, well, I suppose I wouldn't mind because fantasy is the fourth Tuesday, so let's see. That would be the 1st, 8th, 15th, the 22nd, and by then things have calmed down around here. So maybe I could, but I. is there anything anybody wants to read that's a little shorter? I don't know about length, because I haven't started reading, but I downloaded a, a bard book a long time ago called Christmas Ghosts, and I don't know anything about it, but I think it's a series of short stories that people have written about ghosts and Christmas, so that might be kind of a, you know, not fantasy as we usually think of it, but it would be a fantasy, and it would be in the holiday, I mean, the 22nd, come on, we can't not do something Christmassy. Yeah, that might be good, that way people could just you know, read as many little stories as they have time for, and then if we're discussing one they haven't read yet, just wait till we discuss one they have read. The other advantage to short a collection is that you can usually find at least one or two you like. Um, well, we could, uh, you know, if you really want to read a Christmas fantasy, you could read A Christmas Carol. <laughs> That's pretty fantastic, I think. Um, and it's a great story, but uh, we've all read it about a million times and seen it on TV, so um, probably don't want to want to do that. But uh, a Christmas ghosts Christmas ghosts sounds interesting. Um, so it's on Bard, and that's what it's called, Christmas ghosts. Yes, uh huh. And I don't know how long it is. I have it on a different card right now, so I can't pull it up. But it, it's not a Christmas ghost. It's Christmas ghosts, plural. And it, I think it's read by a British reader, so it ought to be, you know, read in in mood. Lana, I was going to say, humorously, a Christmas Carol. So you and I were on the same page. Um, sorry, folks, I got kicked out and had trouble getting in. We're all having that trouble, and Anne was the one who, who suggested A Christmas Carol. I thought of it, but Anne was the one who actually said it. I think people have probably analyzed that poor thing to death, so um, going with a different story would probably be a good idea. It sounds like fun if um, if everyone's agreed. Well, all right, Christmas ghosts. All right, um, uh, does anybody have a DB number? By any chance? I don't suppose. Um, I could go look, I suppose. Um, I'm so used to Alan looking up <laughs> looking up stuff on the mystery book discussion group. Um, all right, hang on. Let me see if I can find it. Hold on. Julia, what was the name of the one you talked about, The Life of Somebody? Lies of Loch Lamora. That's the name of the character, and it's spelled L-O-C-K-E. L-A-M-O-R-A, and it's on Bard and Bookshare. Okay. That one sounds kind of interesting. I may look into that. Um, as well. Yeah. It's just you don't want to get stuck reading a 23-hour book that you think sucks. That would really not be very good. Well, if I don't, I've kind of made a, New Year's resolution early that if I don't like a book, I'm not going to spend time reading it. Um, too many books, too little time to read ones you don't that you don't enjoy. Yeah, that's the way I feel too. 
Um, everybody, could you please stay after the recording is over? I have some conferencey stuff to discuss. Thanks. I found it. It's Christmas Ghosts, and it's by Catherine with a K, K A T H R Y N. Um, Kramer, common spelling, C-R-A-M-E-R, and it is um, DB30, wait a minute, let me, let me reread this, it's 30377, and um, I think I have the, the Lives of Lac Lamore as, as a, uh, on my TBR list, I'm pretty sure. Um, so we could do that one if you really want to. I may not read the whole thing, but you never know. And um, but that's the Christmas ghosts, three zero three seven seven. I think we should. I think we should do Christmas ghosts because it's short stories, and December is probably not the best month to pick a twenty-three hour book and expect everybody to actually finish it. All right, then let's do it. Let's let's do it. Christmas Ghosts by Catherine Kramer. And again, it's Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, is how she spells her name. So if you're looking for Kramer, um, that's that's the correct spelling of her name. Um... And it's 30377. And as far as I know, the fourth Tuesday in December is the 22nd. I want to know whoever looks up books by the de- uh, by the talking book number. Uh, either I know the title or I don't. I do it by the author. I find it works better that way most of the time for me. I do sometimes uh, look up books by their numbers. Um. Because you just type the number in without the DB, and it comes up with the right book, and you don't get the wrong book by mistake or stuff. But I have to know the number before I go searching for the book. Um, But I usually look for authors myself or titles, either titles or authors. But I, I just typed in Christmas Ghosts, and there it was, after the Christmas Carol, several editions of... Um, <laughs> but it was there, so there you go. I think the best thing that the um, NLS ever came out with was the Bard mobile app. Isn't it delightful? And also, Marsha was commenting about finding a book he didn't like and not having to finish it and having so many books Anne and I, at least, remember back when you read whatever you could get because you finally had a book. Yeah, I remember doing that and reading some of the most god-awful stuff. (laughs) The library sent me some really uh, adult stuff at one or two points in my life. And, you know, I just... Oh, dear. Some of the stuff I've read, I, I... Oh... Man, but, um, well, and then there were other times when I I would go through phases. Um, I went through a terrible Frank Yerby phase uh, when I was in college. I must have read everything by him. 
and uh, got my fill of riverboats and gamblers and um, women of ill repute and uh, New Orleans society and stuff, but, you know. (laughs) But uh, it only lasted a few years, but I'm much wiser now. But uh, I did learn a lot, I have to say. I, I learned an awful lot. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, I do remember when if you came home from school and there were talking books that had been left on your doorstep, it was a red letter day. And you went and you did your homework as fast as you possibly could do it. And then you sat down and you began reading audiobooks. It was worse when you were working at a job you hated. And you'd come home and there would be these little plastic boxes at your door. And it was like, for a few minutes, the world turned brilliant. Well, I was thinking of even farther back when the, when the, uh, the books came in those, those black cases with the straps on. I mean, those were, those were the days. Um, <laughs> sometime when I, when I'm not being recorded, I will tell you about my father's experience with the, the talking book cases on a, on a cold and lonely night in the middle of Monroe Avenue. But anyway, I'll, t- I'll tell you sometime, Lana, but not now. Anyway, I'm going to stop this recording and uh, we can certainly continue the discussion, but I'm going to stop the recording. So we're, meeting on the 22nd of December and we're reading Christmas Ghosts by Catherine Kramer.